Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are looking at the 14th parak of Shmuel Bet. Last parak, Avshalom avenged the assault on Tamar by killing Amnon. These are all children of David and half-siblings. He then fled, fearing reprisals from David. And this puts David in a very tough spot. David is conflicted. On the one hand, he is deeply upset and pained by the loss of Amnon, even though Amnon did something truly terrible to his daughter Tamar. Uh, Nonetheless, it's still not right that Avshalom killed him. Avshalom did this as a, a kind of vigilante justice. This was extra legal and not the correct course of action. So justice demands that Avshalom should be, should be punished. At the same time, we learned at the end of last parak that David is upset that he is disconnected from Avshalom. He, he, he yearns to, to see Avshalom. Avshalom is his son. So David's kind of caught in this, between a rock and a hard place, pursuing what strict justice demands and what uh, his kind of paternal, uh, natural instincts would demand. Yoav sees that David is in this difficult position, and he wants to resolve the relationship between David and Avshalom. He wants to bring Avshalom out of exile. But he can't just tell David as much. He needs to try and have David arrive at a kind of aha moment in the same way that Natan Hanavi wanted David to arrive at this aha moment. And that works brilliantly for Natan Hanavi. And so Yoav tries to con- construct a-, a similar situation. He hires a, the woman from Tekoa, who is a, a very wise woman, to essentially play a role, create a fictional account, do something really very much akin to what Natan Hanavi does. She comes to Dov and she tells him that she has, she's a widow and she has two sons. One killed the other in the context of a fight. They were fighting with each other. One killed the other. And now the family members, the next of kin, want to avenge the death of the killed sibling by killing the one remaining sibling. And the woman is coming to Dov ostensibly, to intervene to save the remaining son, the last vestige of her family. Before we get into David's response to the situation, it's worth noting that the way this is constructed is quite different than the actual story of Avshalom and Amnon. It's constructed in a way that's, I wouldn't say manipulative, but it's really stacking the deck so that David will arrive at a verdict that will, you know, protect the son who killed his brother, right? It's understandably so. They want that to be the outcome, so then they'll be able to say, well, you should do the same thing for Avshalom, even though he killed Amnon. But the stories are not exactly, they don't line up perfectly. So, for example, one brother killed the other in the context of a fight, in the, in the mashal, or in the fake, in the fictional narrative, whereas when it comes to Amnon and Avshalom, Avshalom kills Amnon through a secret assassination. And the two of them, even though you could say in the kind of a broad sense they're, they're kind of warring factions, they're, they're at each other's uh, necks, but they're not like wrestling in a field and one of them ends up killing the other one. It, it, it's quite different. I think it's not, it's not really the moral equivalent. And secondly, they, construe the sto- they construct the story such that this guy is the one surviving child of a widow, uh, the, 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 the lone heir to his father's legacy, the widow, without having her own son survive, will be much more vulnerable, right? We're made to feel much more pity in this situation, whereas for David and Avshalom, it's not quite the same. David is a king. He has many spouses. He has children. It's not exactly comparable, but nonetheless, one understands why they construct the story in this way, and they're hoping David will say, of course, we should forgive and protect the remaining son, and then they'll say, oh, so you should do the same for Avshalom. But David doesn't actually do that. He's not so quick 
to say that the surviving child uh, should be protected. At first he says, you know what? Why don't, why don't you go home and, and give me a chance to think it over and I'll get back to you. And then the woman pushes because she really wants that answer. She wants David to say, no, protect the surviving child. After she pushes again, David gives a little bit more of a uh, conciliatory answer. A little, gives a little bit more like, well, if anyone gives you trouble, you'll send them to me, which is kind of parv. And then finally, after the third attempt, the woman really pushes David and he says, okay. He's, he, he swears that if, if a hair on his head is touched, uh, or rather, he swears that a, a hair on his head will not be touched. So he swears his protection for this child, clearly landing ultimately on the side of, of the of the you know uh, of of protecting this remaining child, and and I guess in some broader sense, kind of seeing the justice in in not avenging the death of the other brother. And that's when the woman has this big reveal. It's a lengthy speech the woman of Tekoa gives here. It's not with the, the punchy uh, kind of strength of Natan HaNavi's Atahaish, you are the man. And then David uh, is, has this epiphany. It's, it's not quite pa- uh, parallel. She gives a lengthy speech, perhaps having to strike a little bit more of a deferential posture vis-a-vis David, because she's not the Navi, she's a person. But it amounts to Atahaish. It amounts to, David, you're the guy. You're, you're doing precisely this to have Shalom. Why not bring him out of exile? David recognizes what's going on. He says, did Yoav put you up to this? And she says, again, in a little bit of a circuitous way, she says, yes, Yoav put me up to this. And David, I think to his credit, which is to say it bespeaks a lot of humility, he's able to say, okay, I'll bring, uh, I'll bring Shalom out of exile. Whether that's the correct move or not, we'll have to determine as time goes on. But to, I think to David's credit, in, in a certain respect, it certainly uh, demonstrates quite a bit that he can be fooled in this way and then immediately turn to saying, okay, I, I learned the lesson. I will bring Avshalom out of exile. So Yoav goes and brings Avshalom uh, back to Yerushalayim. However, David has one caveat. He says, you can bring him back, but you, I, I, I don't want to see him. You can't bring him to me. He and I are not going to see each other. And in that way, David's trying to strike this balance. This is how David deals with this tension. He, he wants to be punishing Avshalom, and he wants to see Avshalom. He wants to bring him near. So how do you balance those two things? So this is what David said, bring him back to Yerushalayim, but I don't want to see him. And in a certain respect, you could say it actually doesn't resolve either. In, a, in an attempt to kind of thread the needle here, David ends up uh, almost having kind of the worst of both worlds because he still isn't seeing Avshalom, so it hasn't resolved that issue. And on top of that, now Avshalom is really not being punished at all for what he did, at least before he was in exile. Now he's back in Yerushalayim. So it's maybe exacerbated the issues rather than resolved them. So Avshalom is then back in Yerushalayim, and for a period of several years, he remains there without having had a private audience, without meeting and establishing, re-establishing his connection to David. And he very much wants to. He very much wants to have an audience with the king. He tries to communicate that to David through Yoav, who was his ally up until this point. And, uh, and Yoav doesn't respond to him. Yoav is uh, ghosting Avshalom. And so Avshalom says, all right, is the, if you're going to ignore me, he gets so frustrated that he actually sets fire to Yoav's field. That gets Yoav's attention. And then Yoav does, in fact, 
see to it that he and David have a face-to-face meeting. The meeting, though, is strikingly cold and formal. Um, It would have seemed to have been an opportunity for a reconciliation, but it could be argued that it does just the opposite. And in a certain respect, it sets the stage for Avshalom's rebellion, which will follow in the next parak. There are uh, just two things that I want to note before we conclude. The first is that I think we see in this parak a continuation of a of something that began last parak, which marks a very significant shift in David's character. Last parak, we noted that David was passive after hearing what Amnon did to Tamar, and that passivity continues very, very clearly in a very in a very dramatic way in this parak. Firstly, David is frozen in inaction regarding Avshalom. He wants Avshalom, but he can't bring Avshalom back. And then in the encounter with the woman of Tekoa, so she tells him this fictional narrative, and David says, you know, go home and, and, and let me think it over, and I'll get back to you later. And then she has to push, and then he has a, a little bit more of a, an assertive answer. And only on the third attempt does he really come to a strong position on the matter, um, which, you know, taken in, the, in a vacuum might just be a king being thoughtful. But I think in this case, we're meant to see it as another expression of David really being uh, quite passive and taking half measures. Um, and then, uh, likewise, when David then brings Avshalom back to Yushalayim, he does so, but leaves Avshalom uh, on the margin still. He doesn't, or rather, you know, he doesn't go to meet Avshalom, which again is another kind of half measure. So we're definitely seeing a very pensive David. And I think that's a, a dramatic change from what we had seen really prior to this. I also want to note that we once again find David as the vehicle through which his own suffering uh, is, uh, is brought to bear. Just last Perak, uh, we found that David was the one who innocently, unknowingly, sends Tamar to help Amnon, and then Amnon does what he does to Tamar. And then likewise, David sends Amnon to Avshalom, and then Avshalom kills Amnon. So there he's this unknowing accessory to these horrible moments in his own life. And here too, David is bringing Avshalom back, as I said, from the margins of society, and bringing him back to Yushalayim, and bringing him into his own uh, palace and, and empowering Avshalom, and that will ultimately end up hurting him again as he is essentially empowering this person who is going to rebel against him. So time and again, David is really tragically inserted into these, into these moments where he becomes an accessory to his own um, suffering. And I think that that's not accidental, but it, it actually reflects something very fundamental, and that is that Ultimately, we're meant to understand that all these things that are happening to David are the result of his own sin. Fundamentally, David is responsible for all of these things that happened uh, as a result of the way he treated Bathsheba and Uriah. That is it for today. Chazak the Emats and happy learning.